And I met people that were saying, like, oh, I'm traveling for six months, I'm traveling for one year. And I was just like, what? Like, I had never heard of that. Like, I, I didn't know anyone that had done it. And so I went home and just started researching it. Like, how, how can you be gone for six months or a year at one time? Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to episode 50 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Now, on today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Nathan Aguilera, the founder and author over at foodieflashbacker.com, a blog dedicated to travel and the best meals and restaurants you can find all over the world. Nathan and I met in Merida, Mexico, where I was based for the first few months of 2020 and the city that Nathan actually calls his home base. And I wanted to have Nathan on to talk about his journey as a blogger and digital nomad and why Merida is such a phenomenal place as a home base for digital nomads. Sarah and I, like I said, spent the first few months of the year there and we loved it so much that we are considering going back again and again and possibly making it our home base for the first couple of months of the year, which are usually cold during uh, the North American winter. And during this conversation, Nathan and I also got to touch on the general state of the digital nomad scene and what the future looks like for nomads. We did record this uh, before all the COVID stuff went down, so do keep that in mind as that this is probably going to be the future for digital nomads after uh, everything gets figured out with COVID and that we can officially say that that's something in the past. Another topic that we talked about were the best meals that Nathan's ever had and a full guide on Merida for anybody who wants to visit. So if you're somebody who's interested in Mexico or has ever thought about leaving America, leaving the U.S. during the winter and escaping to the warmth of Mexico, definitely listen to this all the way through because Merida, I think, could be a great spot for you. And this is a great guide to the city. Now, you can find all the show notes and all the restaurants and resources that we mentioned during the interview of which there were a ton, uh, over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 50. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 50. All right, you guys, without further ado, I hope that you are happy and healthy and safe wherever you are in the world, and let's dive into this wide-ranging and what I must admit was uh, an alcohol-fueled conversation with my buddy Nathan Aguilera from foodieflashpacker.com. All right, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. It's been a long time coming. Good. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So you've been our kind of like tour guide, so to say, here at Merida. You know everything about Merida and you've been showing us around. And I've been wanting to do this podcast with you for a while and it's happening on like our last day here. It's our second attempt at making this happen. Yeah. Um, the first one didn't go as planned. It went well. Yeah. I mean, it went well in other ways. <laughs> Good times were had. Yeah. Uh, Nathan busted out the mezcal, and uh, by the bottom of the bottle, I don't think that we were in any shape to actually record a podcast. It would have been funny. It would have been funny to hear all that. Well, we're drinking beers, and um, so who knows what's going to happen. Maybe this episode's going to get very interesting as well. But 
Yeah, I wanted to have you on the show just to talk about a. I think you have an interesting background as a food blogger, and like you know, talk about that, and also Merida as like a possible digital nomad location. I think is really interesting, and I think more people need to know about it. So I'm super pumped to have you on here and to actually like talk about that. You know, so no, I'm excited. I love Merida. This is my third winter facing for Merida. So what brought you to Merida in the first place? Uh, some other really good friends of mine were based here at the time. Meg and Tom from Food Fund Travel. Okay. And I came on my way to Nicaragua, passing through, came for a two or three week visit and never made it to Nicaragua, signed a six month lease on that visit, stayed all winter and have come back three years consecutively. So you were going to Nicaragua and then you popped in here for what, like a weekend and you're like, that's it? Like two weeks. Yeah. Just to come catch up with some friends. And you went straight to the commitment of a six-month lease? Six-month lease, yeah. Only the second time. I've been traveling now six years, and that's only the second time I'd ever done that was signed a lease somewhere. What was the first time? Chiang Mai. Oh, of course. Yeah, hey, where everyone starts. The, yeah, yeah. The, the freshman dorms of yeah. Digital Nomad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What was the like similarity between here and Chiang Mai that you were like, yeah, this is going to be the other place that I get a lease? Um, I don't know that it was similarity so much as it was um, the people here. I really do like the people straight away. Uh, like the I'm locals the, the or lo- the, the local people. And you know, I'm half Mexican myself, and I'm here trying to work mm-hmm. on getting my Mexican citizenship. Poorly trying to learn Spanish. It's not going very well at all. But, you know, for me, it was like a way to connect with my father's side of the family and where we come from. And also, I'm on the same time zone as where I'm from in Oklahoma City. We're on the same time zone. Whereas when I was in Thailand, we were 12 or 13 hour difference. I've seen more of my friends and family in the time that I've been here than the entire time that I've been gone. Uh, My sister's been here twice. My mom's now living here. Uh, My friends have been down three or four times. So I, I access to friends and family and, you know, closer to home. Yeah, that's definitely something that's like, I really like Thailand, but that is just a killer, man. It's like the time zone difference. Like if you're, if you're like working with like other people who are like in the US or whatever, it's, oh man, it's just like, it's so hard that time zone. While here it is nice. Like it's, you're on central time, which is yeah. Eastern, but you know, it's like, it's so much easier to like work with clients and stuff like that. Well, US, and which is nice. you know, in Thailand, no one can come in for like a long weekend. Yeah, that's you know, a good point. And from here, it's six hours with a layover in Houston from Oklahoma City to Merida. So I've mm-hmm. had friends just come down for you know a long holiday weekend or something, but it's impossible to do it in Thailand. Yeah, for sure. It's not like, hey, just pop on over. Yeah, here. I, just, yeah my- I have a guest room, so swing by. <laughs> yeah, and like that—that that was a nice touch. That like, for example, like my parents came to visit here, and like they would have never visited, you know, if we're in Thailand. So that's a good point. To talk a little bit about how did you first get to thailand like so how did you get involved because you have a food blog mm-hmm. called foodie flashpacker mm-hmm. which is great everybody should go check it out we've actually been using it a lot here in Merida because it's like where should we go for breakfast let's check out nathan's blog you know so that's been really helpful but how did you like what made you first want to become or like start blogging uh honestly it was at the two-year mark of my trip and i was getting a bit burnt out on just travel and i didn't want to go home i wanted to find something to do to structure my time and to give kind of meaning to my travel uh two years of you know just bouncing around city to city to city i was pretty tired and ready to kind of settle down a bit and manage my time and i thought blogging would be a good way to do that how why did you leave on that two-year long trip in the first place to decide if I wanted to go to law school. 
Oh, to decide because you yeah. you were working as like a legal assistant. Before, I was a legal right? assistant in Oklahoma City, and I graduated college very late. I didn't graduate college till I was thirty three, and I would decide if I wanted to go to law school or not. If I wanted to go severely in debt to borrow all the money, student loans mm-hmm. for law school, be more than a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and I wanted to be a public defender. You know, so go one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt to get a forty thousand dollar a year job. So I was going to take six months to sort that out and just kind of clear my head and think about things. So then six months became two years. Six months, just every six months, I would say, ah, oh, you know, big announcement on Facebook, guys, I'm staying six more months, <laughs> six more months, six more months, six more months, and finally, kind of at the two-year mark, I was just like, this is just what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to go to law school, turns out. And was that your first time traveling, like that first trip? Mm, yeah. I mean, I had done like two or three weeks solo trips before. Honestly, they were kind of trial runs for this. Uh, I was thinking about where I wanted to go spend six months, uh, so I went two or three weeks at a time to Thailand one time and to Nicaragua another time. I was trying to decide if I wanted to do Latin America or Asia Mm -hmm. to start out. Yeah, and so you went on this, like, two-year trip, and, like, what what was that like, you know, traveling around? Because I think most people can't imagine, like, oh, I'm just going to travel for two years. Like, what was that experience like? Great. Like, you know, I, I loved it, and... I don't know. In some ways, I kind of miss it now that I think blogging is taking up a lot more of my time than I thought it would when I got into it. It was some, it was just going to structure a bit of my time, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's turned into uh, pretty full-time. A lot. But, yeah, in the beginning, it was fun. No plans. No, you know, just kind of bouncing around and going wherever I found cheap flights. That was usually how I decided where to go next. Had you met other digital nomads when you were, like, you know, on your travels and you knew, like, that this was something that you could do or, like... Well, when I was researching my trip, I became obsessed with bloggers. Like, they were kind of my celebrities. I think I, at one point, had read everything Nomadic Matt had ever written. I remember we were on a, a trip in Kenya, and we, I stayed at a hostel for the first time. And I met people that were saying, like, oh, I'm traveling for six months, or I'm traveling for one year. And I was just like, what? Like, I had never heard of that. Like, I, I didn't know anyone that had done it. And so I went home and just started researching it. Like, how, how can you be gone for six months or a year at one time? And, you know, $50 a day budget or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So bloggers became like my celebrities. Mm. I was following tons of them because I wanted to like absorb as much information before I set out to do this. I wanted to be, I wanted to be like the most well-informed person that had ever taken off on this kind of trip. And I wasn't going to make any rookie mistakes. And then I, of course, got on the road and made all of the rookie mistakes. Yeah. So how did you, like when you started the blog, because now the blog is, you know, like your full-time job, like, you know, like you like turn, like, I mean, it's like your job, you know, it's like where you get most of your money. So like how, what was that process like of just starting it as something to structure time and then like growing it into something, into what it is now? I think I did probably what I wouldn't really recommend anyone do. I didn't go in with a business plan. Mm. You know, I just started it. I didn't know anything about SEO and things like this. And I just started, I was kind of like, just throw things against the wall and we'll see what sticks. And then I started, like, I saw numbers. Like, people were having really high numbers and making money and they had traffic and everything. And set out to find out, like, why, why, I thought it was enough to just write some things and people will find it, you know. But, yeah. So, and then I, why are my numbers not like everyone else's? <laughs> and so then I had to get very more business business-like about it. I had to figure out how to make a business and, you know, learn SEO and learn a bit of coding and things You learned like coding? Very minimal. Not much. Just enough to do the easy back-end stuff mm-hmm. on my site. Nothing, nothing special. So how long did it take you to go from, like, 
you know, just doing it as like a hobby or like whatever to actually like getting serious, like you said. Two years. So what happened? Like in those two years, you were like learning SEO and you were like, No, in the first two years, I wasn't doing it. Or you just like kind of shooting the shit online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of throwing up like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever random things and not getting any traffic, not Mm -hmm. making any money. And then I went to a couple of conferences and I heard people making big money and having big numbers. And I had to set out to find out like, you know, what are they doing? How are they getting these numbers? So probably 18 to 24 months in, I started being more business-like about it. Why did you go to the conferences and what conferences were they? The first one I went to was TBEX. What's that? Maybe like the biggest travel blogger conference. TBEX? Yeah. Uh, travel Bloggers Exchange. Uh-huh. Yeah, I went to TBEX in Manila. Okay. And for me, I mean, we've had this conversation also. A lot of what appeals to me about blogging is the community. So I wanted to be a part of that community. Like I said, I would really looked up to a bunch of bloggers. I th- and now that I've made friends with uh, some of these people or whatever, I just think a lot of bloggers are doing really cool shit, you know, all the time. And maybe you don't make the most money, but the lifestyle. For me, the community and the lifestyle. Yeah, so you were kind of just like, so you went to the, you went to the conference to essentially like, like meet those people or like did you go there with the mindset of like, I want to like take it to the next level? Or take like, it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to invest money in the conference and things like this to figure out how to make it more of a business out of mm. it. So what did you learn at that conference that helped you make that step? That's when I first I, – I didn't know anything about SEO. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing was like you've got to learn SEO. And, it, you know, when, and when I first heard about it, it seemed so kind of daunting and overwhelming and like I don't even know where to begin approaching this. Mm. So I had to do like some very remedial – you know, what is SEO? What does SEO stand for? You know, right, right. yeah, I remember everyone talking about SEO, SEO, and I was just kind of like Googling under the table. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, 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 is are, yeah, what is SEO? What are they talking yeah. about? You know, pull up the first article and be yeah. like, um, I believe that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's good. So when you like left, you just kind of, you know, you left the conference and you're like, okay, I need to invest more in SEO. Like, what did you like start doing? Like, did you start doing like keyword research? Did you go back and kind of like look at the things that you were doing? Like, like, and how long did it take from going from essentially like you like learning about SEO to kind of seeing everybody has that like pop moment, that like aha moment, whether it's like the first dollar that rolls in or whatever it was. Like, do you remember how long it took you to get to that? And what was that moment? Um, I just remember one day checking my numbers, and they had been going steadily up. Your and numbers, you mean like your visits to the my website? My visits to my website yeah. and everything. And the next thing, uh, I wanted on Mediavine. That was the next thing. And I was, I was going to you know, do whatever I had to do to get on Mediavine. And I think you needed like twenty five or 30,000 sessions per month. And when my numbers started heading that direction and they were gradually climbing, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, like light bulb. The things you're doing are working. You know, the plan that you put in place and, you know, you know I was on the upper trajectory. But 25,000 visitors per month is not a small number. So you didn't see any, like, you didn't have any sort of, like, like pops of money or anything like that up until you hit to that, until you got to that mark? Money, not so much. I've never done a ton with affiliates. Mm. You know, that's one thing where I know that I need to focus on. But yeah, I mean, I was making some small affiliate commissions and sponsored posts and sponsored Instagram posts and things like this. But I think the the big thing for me was when I was headed towards Mediavine, mm. when I saw my numbers climbing in that direction. Yeah, and it was like, like a fixed goal for me. So was it like you you put Mediavine onto? And we've talked about Mediavine before. Like Kate was here yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, for listeners. 
I think it would be a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, and like she was here and we talked about like travel blogging and that kind of stuff. And I think that that is like a big goal for a lot of, you know, like travel bloggers specifically is like get to that media vine number so that you can put it on there. So was it like literally you put media vine on and the money started coming? Yeah, it was my first guaranteed regulars. Everything else had been, you know, like I said, sponsored posts and kind of it, the money was erratic, mm. you know. But when you're saying like a lot of bloggers make a goal out of it. I remember I felt shamed at one point. I was at a table and someone was like, do you have Mediavine on your site? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I was like, I really got to get these numbers yeah, up. Yeah. You know? You're the poser at the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but and- now, now that we're on Mediavine, you know, there's the next one, Ad Thrive. So it, whenever you hit that goal, there's just another goal ahead of you. you know, now, yeah. now you need 100,000 sessions to apply for the next company because then like the essentially like, the reason is that like they pay better commissions pay, yeah, yeah, right yeah, supposedly one of the things that i really liked about your site immediately because the way that we met first of all we haven't talked about this is our mutual friend nate hake who runs travelleving.com mm-hmm. he was like you know i said that he kind of told us about merida when we were in budapest this past fall and he was like oh you know because we're we sarah and i said that we maybe wanted to go to mexico and he said you should go to merida because my friend nathan is there and you know it's like a really great place and like etc etc and i said okay like nathan goes like yeah he runs this website called foodie flash packer and i was like i like that name the first time that i heard it i was like i don't know i know what a foodie is but I never heard the term flashpacker. But then the moment that I learned what a flashpacker was, I was like, oh, I like this. The niche that you have of like a foodie who is not like a backpacker, because for the people who don't know, like, can you explain what a flashpacker is like, really quickly? So I, I was pretty impressed with myself when I came up with that name <laughs> as well. You patted yourself on yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. But I thought everyone knew what a flashpacker mm. was. And maybe it was just because that was when I was, you know, very backpacking and I'd been on the road for two years. So flashpacker is just a style of travel between budget and luxury. Mm-hmm. It's very middle of the road. You know, it's like I don't sleep in dorms and I can't afford the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just kind of that middle of the road traveler with a bit more of a budget, you know, not the backpacker in a 16 person dorm room and right like that. yeah and i love that i'd never heard of that before i thought everyone knew what that was yeah, i didn't and i mean i've been traveling for like several years and i, I just never heard the term but it, it makes sense yeah but was that like the from the very beginning that was what you're gonna write about or did you try different blogging like names and stuff like that as you were building your business uh it was always gonna be about food for me for sure uh everyone you know when i started researching and blogging and starting a blog, everyone said you need to niche down. You can't mm-hmm. just say travel. And now, even though I have a food blog, I still don't think food is niche enough. Mm. I think I could have niched down further. I think some of the people, my friends that are really successful have, you know, vegan blogs. Yeah. Or, you know, I think one of my friends right now, she's having amazing success, uh, recipe, uh, instant pot recipeing blogging you know super niche things like this and so even now i was like okay yeah food food that's going to be the niche and then i was like no it's still actually quite broad Mm. you know i could have niched down more but yeah i knew it was going to be around food and so i was trying to come up with something clever food you know something alliteration things like this and uh messaged some of my friends and said what do you think about foodie flashpacker and she said if it's not taken jump on it immediately she's like it's good do you have that thing where you um like you get an idea for uh, a domain and you go to like Namecheap and you like buy it like do you yes. do that yeah. oh, I am the worst 
it's my like what I like people talk about like girls with like shopping shoes and bags. I'm like I I buy like domain names like it's my job. Like, I I don't have a ton of them, but I have this weird thing where when I come up with what I think is a decent one, I get very panicked. Like someone's trying to register it at the very moment I thought of it. Mm-hmm. Like I I have to buy it right then and then yeah. go start registering. You know, Twitter and making sure all the social media accounts and everything are free for it. But yeah. Oh, I don't go that far. I don't check the like. Social oh yeah, media I stuff. mean, what are you gonna do with a domain if you can't have all the handles as well across social media? I just I don't think that far in advance about it. But yeah, I I gotta pat myself on the back. I feel like I I have some like pretty good domain names. Yeah, that I have stashed and like Namecheap. Yeah. Well, I, I can one up that. I thought okay. of a really great one mm-hmm. and went to go buy it, and I was disappointed to find out. Uh, someone already owns it, okay. and that someone was me. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what was the domain? Can you uh, share? I think, yeah, I think it was themexpat.com. The Mexpat? Like yeah, a Mexican or Mexpats ex- or something like that. Like a one Mexican the, expat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, because I found out, well, I don't. I should, probably shouldn't say this. There's a private WhatsApp group in Playa del Carmen, and they all call themselves Mexpats. Oh, and you was, should message them yeah yeah it's for sale (laughs) i'm gonna hold this hostage yeah Yeah. and then so i jumped on it and then i found and i brought two i think i bought like three versions of it mexpats the mexpats Mm -hmm. or things like this and the one i had the brilliant idea for i already own but that was funny is like i did that i have um i have some good ones i have dopestproducts.com okay i feel like that's like a pretty good one you know saturday.com oh we need to buy that yeah Yeah. so we've been talking about before this airs yeah this before this airs cenote saturday (laughs) you purchased yeah no, so yeah, it's th- those are those like fun things that you start to do when you're in the spaces. Like, it's almost like you get the ideas, and that's one of the interesting things that I've talked about. Bef- like, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but one of the things that I love so much about the this space, like the people that we hang out with, like you hear about these things before everybody else does. Like, you know, like I like we have friends that have like Bitcoin that like you know they heard about Bitcoin and like fucking like 2010 or whatever 2008 and like bought up a ton of it and now they're like sitting pretty yeah you know like so do you feel that in terms of like like is that something that you think about and that you enjoy in terms of the, the digital nomad blogger space is that sort of like fringe like weird you know like community I enjoy it, but I think I don't hop on things early enough because there's so many different things and you don't know what's going to pan out and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of things kind of like flash in the pan things come and go. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm glad I didn't jump on that. And then things that blow up like Bitcoin or something where it's like, yeah, when we heard about this a long time ago or whatever, that, that would have been the moment. Yeah. But you're like, Oh no, it's probably Bitcoin. It's not gonna be around in six months, you know? Mm -hmm. So you don't know, you have to be selective about what you give your time and energy and money to. And I, I'm bad about making that decision. I think it's about judging points of leverage. So like you have certain times that come around, like let's like, like to mention like the internet, for example, Mm -hmm. where like, I'm 26, right? Like, I could have never been Jeff Bezos Mm -hmm. because you needed to be a certain age for when that point of leverage came to start Amazon.com, right? Like, he started Amazon.com in, like, 1997, 96, something like that. I was three, yeah, right? Like, I was not – I couldn't take advantage of that leverage point to do what he did or to do, you know, what Elon Musk did with PayPal and then, you know, all these things that that happened. So what you need to do is, like – a, a large like leverage point occurs, which I think happened with cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a shift. And you can, if you are at a state where you're aware and you hear about it early enough and you are in a place where you can actually take action on it, sometimes these points of leverage 
happened in your life and you need to almost make a judgment of like, is it smart to make this move? And like they need to be large changes. So the advent of the internet created a huge point of leverage because now you had all of these new services or or problems you had to fix. Same thing with cryptocurrency, I think, is that you're shifting the way that the currency in the world is going to be used and mm-hmm. it's creating lots of new problems that can have lots of new services or, or products created for it. Yeah. So that's kind of like how I think about it is like, is this shift big enough to create enough like, like, like for you to execute enough on it? I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how like I think of it in, in my head. Yeah. So to say, but so going back to foodie flashbacker, cause we took a wild tangent there. Yeah, I like it because I think it's like I do think it's like niche because like I I can see what you mean about like it not being niche enough, but at the same time it's like I'm like oh yeah like I see this like because I wouldn't I'm not a backpacker but mm-hmm. like I'm definitely not seeing it like four star resort five star resorts and stuff no. like that and like you know like I I do like that so because I have to imagine there are you know people that have. Especially people when they get two-week holidays or something from the mm. States. You only get two weeks. So you don't mind splashing out a little bit. You've probably saved for this all year long and things like this. So, you know, you're not trying to get by on $50 a day and yeah. things like this, you know. So that's the people I'm trying to target. People kind of in the middle with a bit more money to spend. They don't mind nice experiences. Um, you know, definitely they want the whole thing. They want to stand on the corner and eat street tacos, but they'll also go sit down for a five course meal with wine pairings. You know, yeah. those are the people that I'm kind of aiming for. So I feel like we have to talk about food now that you're like here and like, we'll talk about Medellin and everything. I'm also, I'm fully prepared. This is probably gonna be a longer podcast than That's like fine. normal. So if you guys are listening, you know how long this is going to be. Cause obviously it's like, you know, recorded, but we have beers out and everything that I need a refill. Actually, I'm gonna go grab one in a second. But, um, if you had to rank, like your top three or five cities that just have like the best food. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like if there were like a few cities that it wasn't just one restaurant, yeah. it was like, oh, man, like this city banging food. Like, can you name, like it doesn't have to be yeah. three or five, but like a few yeah, that yeah. really stand Let out. Me, I'm going to put them in order. Um, well, Bangkok. Yeah. Best street food city in the world. Mexico City. Hong Kong. Um... Those would probably be the top three off the top of my head. So Bangkok, Hong Kong, Mexico, Mexico City. City. Yeah. Istanbul. Ooh, Ist- yeah. Yeah, Istanbul. I think Turkey as a country is hugely underrated as a food destination. You know that's the first place I ever traveled to? Yeah. Istanbul. Yeah. Well, because I lived in Varna, and so it was an easy hop away for us to go to Istanbul. And I just – that was like that – was a shock because you know you get to Istanbul and you go into like Kapalatrishi I think it's called is like their big market and it's just like I remember like walking down like the the street of the market and the the streets were so narrow and so packed with everything and then a car tried to come down the street and everybody just like stuck themselves to like the walls and like just let this car like pass through and then I was just like what the <laughs> fuck is happening, yeah. you know? And it's just the color and the smell. It is so underrated, and it's such an amazing city. I think I've been to Istanbul like three times, and every time I go, I feel like you could walk forever and constantly be finding new neighborhoods and new sections of the city, and it's such a mix of old and new. You know, yeah. I, I think it's an amazing city. And food-wise, like, Turkish food is amazing. And it doesn't get a... In the States, we we know Turkish food to be like three three things, you know? We don't know the full... 
Well, wouldn't you say it's like Arabic? Like I've never been to like a Turkish restaurant. I don't think. Uh, it's got Arabic influences for sure, but they have a lot of there. Is a big melting pot of yeah. different foods and things like this. You've been to Bulgaria. How would you compare that to like Bulgarian food? Uh, different for sure. I mean, they have some similar. It's all the Ottoman Empire and yeah. stuff like this. So there are some similarities. Uh, I we've talked about this. Uh, the Everywhere I go, you know, people always tell you, you got to try this when you get to this mm -hmm. country. You got to try this when you get to this country. And everyone kept telling me about a salad in Bulgaria. And I'm like, who, <laughs> who the hell recommends a salad? You know? And then I got there, and that to me is like my favorite Bulgarian dish. And I was Shopska? Shopska salad. Yeah. And then even I had a good friend of mine when I was in Bulgaria last time, you know, I'm posting everything I eat, every meal on Instagram stories. And he was like, do you think your followers really want to see three of the same salad every day? <laughs> he was like, you can probably limit yourself so uh that's for me is my favorite thing in bulgaria but yeah the food has some similarities but mm -hmm. one of the other things i like about turkey is um for them to be a muslim country they have some of the most relaxed rules around drinking mm -hmm. and probably the in any muslim country i can think of off the top of my head maybe indonesia or uh, anyway but yeah they have an entire the meze culture mm -hmm. that's built around to be had with drinks or whatever yep. so I, yeah we have the same word in bulgarian as meze yeah and it's like you know it's like and like sarah loves that word like it's like probably like one of her favorite bulgarian words is like you know it's just like some snacks for like while you're drinking it's like snacks and food specifically made to go with for like, a drink like tapas yeah yeah. yeah 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 which we don't have we just have limes cut up for our pacifico beers so, yeah, we'll do it. Sponsored by. Sponsored by. Hey, Pacifica, if you want to give me a call. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Merida. Because Love that's Merida. where we are right now. Love you, Merida. You're like the unofficial mayor of Merida, I feel like. <laughs> the ambassador. The ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Merida, yeah. So for people that are listening that are maybe thinking about, like, they want to visit Mexico, let's talk about, like, the top three reasons why they should come to Merida, or, like, the top reasons why somebody should come if they're like a digital nomad or like an expat, like why would they come and like base themselves out of Merida instead of like Mexico City, for example? Safest city in all of Mexico. I think seven years in a row it's been ranked safest city in all of Mexico. And I feel like people in Merida are like very proud of the yeah. fact that it's yeah. every Uber driver. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Merida? Oh, I, I really love it here. Safest city in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. And and it's funny when a little bit of crime happens or you know pickpocketing or someone gets mugged or whatever. People are like, is Merida the next Mexico City? A crime wave sweeps it, you know? And it's, yeah, yeah. some guy got his wallet stolen or whatever. And, he actually um, just left it at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just forgot it. Um, safest city in all of Mexico weather's great I mean I've not been here for the summers but I hear it gets incredibly hot in the summer but for winters like weather's great all my friends are at home in the snow and we're out cenote jumping and yeah. you know swimming in our pools or whatnot good Wi-Fi low cost of living super super friendly locals amazing food and this airport is one of the busiest airports in all of Mexico, so you can get all over Mexico. They have great affordable flights. I didn't know that. Because yeah. when we were looking to come here, we actually flew through Cancun because it was cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing when I well not I didn't even price it because the way my friends had described this place, I thought it was like a little town with dirt roads and yeah. probably some chickens running around and everything. So I didn't even think that they had an airport. So I flew into Cancun, stayed a night at an awful hotel, got up and took a bus the next morning. And so it was like this big process where I was 18 hours in transit or something to get here. And everyone's like, why didn't you just fly into our airport? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys have an airport? Yeah. The city's more than a million people. I didn't. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Okay. So first of all, it's the capital of, of the, the Yucatan. Yucatan. Yeah. But I didn't realize that it was like, I think I was like, I don't know who I remember that I asked like Russo, I think. And I was like, how like 
big is this city? And I think he said like two million people. I was like, what? Yeah. This is bigger than like the capital of Bulgaria. Like I, I just wasn't expecting that as like a number, but it is. It, it almost feels like it has everything you need. Like there's yeah. a Costco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I, is, I remember I was on the phone with my best friend one time, and I was getting on my Uber, and I was like, "Hey, I gotta let you go. I just got to Walmart." And he said, "You have a Walmart?" Yeah. And I was like, "We have a Range Rover dealership." <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, the Walmart's in the center of the city as well. It's like very convenient. But I don't want to make it sound too like American or something because mm. parts of it are the North Side. This is why I choose to live in Centro Centro Historico. I to me, feels very local. Mm. It still feels very local. You have all these conveniences. Um, I don't live on the north side, and some people choose to. It's like no judgment or whatever, because the north side is uh, Sam's Club, mm-hmm. Chili's, Texas Roadhouse, uh, you know, things like this. And it feels very American suburbia But to me. aren't we technically, like, our place in the northern area? Not really. No, I mean, you're yeah. on the north side of Centro Historico. Mm. Like, okay. you're still... I'm talking... Yeah, the north, 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 north. Yeah, yeah. So why? Because oh, it gets like a little fancier there, doesn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, when, yeah. when you drive, like, so when we go from like our place to like Costco, for example, we do head into like the because Sarah loves fucking Costco. We've been there like eighteen times. But like when you drive to that area, you do all of a sudden see these houses. You're like, oh, what's going on here? These are some nice looking houses. So that's kind of like where like the wealthy people in Merida live. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point, Merida was. The richest city. They had the rich, the most millionaires per capita in the world at the wow. turn of the century or something. Yeah, from all that Hennekin production. So there are some. From all I'm, that what production? That rope, that Hennekin we saw the oh, other night. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were producing this and they were. So still, there's a lot of old family money here. And uh, like I'm going to say, Montejo on the main street that yeah. runs through here. Mega, huge, gorgeous, old, like. Um, uh, Spanish style mansions and yeah. French style mansions thing. So there's there's money here. Yeah, there's definitely there's specifically two houses there across from like Casa Chica mm-hmm. that are I'm like, who the fuck lived here? Yeah, like these are like like palaces. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're so if somebody was like coming here, like w- like what neighborhoods would you suggest that they look at that they would have like the best experience in? Well, okay, so I, I'm saying all this as a single person that lives alone. So a mm-hmm. lot of my friends that are families with kids, I think the north side does make more sense mm-hmm. for them. So it depends on your situation. If you're coming as like a single person or as like a young couple with no kids and no car and things like this, Centro Historico, my favorite neighborhoods are Santiago and Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. And now I have, my neighborhood, it's a little bit out of the immediate Centro. It's um, Garcia Ganeras, and I really like my neighborhood as well. What is this neighborhood called where we are? Oh, I don't even know the name of your neighborhood. You're just nor- you're the north side of Centro to me. Yeah, you're, you're I'm you're like by the Soriana. That's all yeah, I know. By you're, you're by my grocery store. Yeah, and it's the reason why. So Sarah and I have been thinking about coming back here next Jan Feb, which is Jan Feb Mar Jan Mar. It's like what we call this period of time uh, where we're like trying to escape the like you know North American winter. Um, but we have been thinking about, like, okay, if we come back next year, we can either get another place now that we know the city better or we can come back to this place. Mm-hmm. And it's been – we were initially thinking to go somewhere closer to the center or to at least, like, that, like, Paseo Montejo, like, Paseo, area, yeah. you know, just because there's like more things. But we have a free gym right there. Yeah. And the store is right there. It's, like – I don't know. It's, like, pretty damn convenient. It's not a bad place. Yeah. yeah and it's, like – and the other thing that we need to talk about is Ubers here are, like, stupid cheap. Oh yeah, I think I paid like a dollar twenty to come 
here today. Yeah. yeah. It's like all, I mean, like when it's like $3, I'm like, whoa. Whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah. are you trying to rob me? Like, what is this? Like, you know. So that's something that is really good to know about. Is that all of Mexico or just Merida that it's like so affordable? It's all of Mexico. Even yeah. Mexico City, the Ubers aren't expensive. Yeah, and so that makes it really easy that, like, you can be a little bit further out of town like we are. Like, we're mm. in the northern part of, like, like the center. Like, we can totally walk to the center, but, you know, it's, like, but it's so affordable to take, like, a thirty Uber yeah. to, like, go wherever we're going. So that's really nice. What about um, where should people look for apartments? Like, obviously, Airbnb is an option. But are there any, like, local options that people can look at? Yeah, um, Merida Casitas for rent. Okay. Yeah, that's where I found my place that I'm in now. Um, but honestly, I tell people, if you're, especially if you're coming for, you know, months at a time, if you're just coming for one month or whatever, you can probably do Airbnb or find something on Merida Casitas for rent. Uh, it's a Facebook group. The best thing to do, though, is come take a hotel for, like, three, four, five days and just walk the streets. Mm-hmm. and look Because Merida Casitas for rent is going to be... There's going to be a bit of a premium, not as much as Airbnb, but it are it is going to be, it's aimed towards foreigners, like expats, yeah, expats, yep. and so it's either expats that have renovated homes that they're renting to other expats or Mexicans that are in the know, speaking English enough to target their houses towards mm. foreigners. So you can find some good deals on there, but also, I mean, I've seen some ridiculously overpriced things. But the best thing to do is just get here, find the neighborhood you like, walk the streets, look for signs, say renta. Um, yeah. yeah, my uh, my friend Travis from Extra Pack of Peanuts. That's the thing that he says is like when you go somewhere is like you know like rent on a like uh, if you're staying somewhere for a long amount of time is like rent a hotel, get an Airbnb yeah. for a couple of days, and then like look around, and then like you know that's how we found the first place that I was in um, when I was here, just driving up and down the streets looking for for rent signs, say renta, mm-hmm. and we saw these ones that looked really nice. And my friend, I said, let, you know, should we stop here? He said, I don't know. He said, I think those are going to be out of your budget. They're, you know, fresh coat of paint and it looked very mm-hmm. nice. And we said, let's just call. Let's just see what they say. And it was half my budget. Nice. Yeah. And I ended up, that's the first six month lease I signed while I was here. That's the other thing that Sarah and I have discovered, for example, is like on Airbnb, like message the people privately and be like, hey, like, can we do this instead of this? And I like, always like, ask for a discount. Yeah, just always ask yeah. for a discount. Like, always be like, can we do 700 instead of 1,000 or whatever? Yeah. Just like, worst case scenario, they're going to say no. Yeah. You know. Always message, especially if you have a lot of really good reviews. Mm. And I always send a message and ask for a discount and say, you can check out my reviews. You can see your place is going to be in good hands. You know, I always take care of the places I stay. And I would say probably more than 80% of the time I get a discount. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing that Sarah and I have started doing recently is, like, when we do Airbnbs is we get the owner's, like, WhatsApp mm-hmm. and try to, like, almost build, a, like, a relationship that way. Because then if we decide to come back to that place, like, we can just message them on WhatsApp. Yeah, for sure. You know? So that's, and that's like, really helpful, especially when you start kind of, like, I think Sarah and I are getting to that place where we're, like, we want to go and see new places, but what are the places that we want to like set up home bases in? Like where do we want to kind of like have a little bit more of like, Hey, I know this place. It's comfortable. I know where I'm going to go work tomorrow, blah, 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 this kind of stuff. Like these are like where we want to put like home bases. Like I call them like safe houses. Like, you know, James Bond, like mm-hmm. whenever James Bond gets in trouble and needs to cover up, he's in Morocco. He's like, don't worry about it. I got a, place. a safe house. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah he has yeah. a safe house. Like that's what I call it. Yeah. I mean, I, my stash of things I leave when I leave for the summer is growing and growing and growing mm-hmm. every year that I'm here. It's 
yeah. getting a little out of control. I had a friend who, and this was a few years ago, but he said that he actually took it a step further and he really liked an Airbnb, I think he said in like Prague. And he said that what he did was that he talked with the owner of the Airbnb and said, I'm going to buy you all new kitchen appliances. And he's like, I got him like all this stuff that I wanted anyways, you know. But when I message you like three months in advance or whatever and I say like, hey, I want to book it here, like give me a discount and like make sure that I get it. So he invested a little bit of money into like the kitchen, got himself like a blender, blah, 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 this kind of stuff that he wanted. And then built a really like almost kind of like invested into the place to get like better treatment and to like always have a place there and to like leave a bag or whatever well i've even kind of gone one up over that like i have such a good relationship with my landlord he's the same person i rented from last year i now rent this place year round and he lets me sublet it Mm. so i'm only here half the year and he's like i don't care what you charge people just pay me my rent so there's actually the potential for me to be making money off this place when i travel put your place back up on airbnb yes that's a that's a nice little, uh, yeah. you know, way to you know, yeah. make money when you're not, you know, here. Yeah, so I'm only here six months of the year, and the other six months I'm not going to sublet it, or if I don't find someone to sublet it the entire time, put it on Airbnb and maybe even make some money off of it. Heck yeah. Now, okay, so we've talked about neighborhoods. We've talked about, like, where to go. What about um, best places to work? And I think this is where we can both contribute, right? It's like, where is like, a good coffee shop, a good places to work? Uh, we use El Orden del Chaos quite a bit. I don't mm. know that it's the best, but it seems to be the one that we're using at the moment. And it has the fastest Wi-Fi I've found. El Orden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Wi-Fi is good there. Um, I work a lot from Lagala. I really like yep. Lagala. They don't have the fastest Wi-Fi, but uh, my friend owns it. It's gorgeous. They have good food and drinks. It's I very like, like artsy and like designery. And... Yeah, yeah. Three art galleries yeah. and a restaurant and a... Uh, retail space or whatever Uh, what i will say about that place is don't sit outside i just get absolutely destroyed by mosquitoes i've never sat outside there yeah Yeah, there's like a little inside air but it's the the outside so nice yeah yeah. and so i'm always like well i want to post up outside and then like my ankles are like you know yeah i like lagala el orden is nice and now they just opened a new one that i'm excited to go check out in el orden no 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 in paseo 60 oh there's a co-working space very near okay any other places those are my favorites. They're uh, my very favorite place shut down and didn't make it. Yeah. Oh, no. The one that I was using last year is gone. I like Manifesto. Manifesto is good. I don't drink coffee. But, yeah, if you're yeah. a coffee person, Manifesto is They're, good. They're uh, Coco Cafe. Oh, my God. And I know so you good. like Caduce. Caduce is very good. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's very close to where we are. The Wi-Fi is good. The people are super friendly. Yeah. Their food is actually really good as well. You have a problem with their seats that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't care for them. Well, or the seat we're sitting in right now, either. No, you don't. You don't like our chairs. Do you want no. to go to get the chair that you I'm, brought last night? No, you broke it. <laughs> you broke you, it. You brought it broken, and I just finished breaking <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. You guys um, missed him falling out of his chair last night. No, I caught myself. It's okay. Um, but yeah, no, I like Cadus, and the thing with them is they have one big table that's really nice for working. And then they have almost like a little stand up desk area by the window where you can like basically fit one person to work standing up, but the rest of it is uncomfortable. Yeah. But if you get that middle table or there's a round table that's doable or one of the stand up, like I like working sometimes standing up. It's great. Latte Quattro Sette. I use that sometimes. It's a coffee shop. Oh, um, what about places, this is obviously now we're walking into your, this is your domain, man. Best Top food. Top five restaurants. Yeah. Go in, check my website. 
No. No. Okay, we'll put a back link <laughs> no. out. No, it's we'll not. put a link to – do you have like a Merida? You have a Merida post, right? Yes. So I'm, we'll put a link to that. But like for the people that are just listening, like what would be like – because you host a lot of people when they come here and like you show them around like what is – you've mentioned to me before that you have like a route yeah. that you take everyone to. Like yeah, what yeah. is the route? Uh, Soco for breakfast is my okay. absolute favorite breakfast place in town. Uh, I go there quite often. They're eggs Benedict. Yep. Everything on their menu is good. I love the people that own it. They're super friendly. Um, it's one of these, you know, a young family. They have a baby less than a year old, and they're just, like, killing it with this amazing restaurant that they sell out of food almost every day. So I just like their whole story, and I like to see, uh, you know, it's a cool story that they're doing well. I like to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 130 Degrees is my favorite steakhouse. Um, let's see. Micaela. For seafood, I'm always dragging everyone to Micaela. Merci is really great. Penny Cafe is amazing. Uh, Mugi for local food. The uh, Yucatecan Museum of Gastronomy. They do great local food. Like I have tons and tons and tons of places. I think you've only taken us to half of these, and I'm kind of offended. Well, we got time. Yeah, Not we much. got two yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Let's, after this podcast. Yeah, let's go. Okay, put the go list. We're going to yeah, we're gonna go to all of those places. But, yeah, I like um, oh, Michaela's Ta- great. Tatemar. I just went to Tatemar the other night. It's fine dining. It's very good. Maya de Asia is mm. very good. These are all north side fancy places. Yeah, because there's like almost like a stretch that has a lot of restaurants, right? Oh, like Culinary Row yeah. in Centro. Yeah, that entire street has some of the best restaurants in Centro and really in all of Merida. Yeah, I love um, Katrine. Katrine. El Katrine is on the route that I take everyone yeah, to. Yeah, it was the first place that we met at yeah. actually, uh, which is really cool because it has they have this like light show that's really nice. But it sounds tacky. It, but it's well done. It's, it's not tacky though. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very well done. My favorite is Hermana Republica. Okay, yeah, I love that. That's on the route as well. That's craft beer. And it's yeah, for me, I was like. Like, for the first, like, week or two, you know, we're drinking just Pacificos. And, like, I'm a bit of, like, a, I like my beer. And, like, then we, like, Googled, like, where is there good beer in Hermana Republica? And I was – their IPA is phenomenal. Yeah, Mexican craft beer. It's Petito. Yeah, petito. their craft – their IPA is phenomenal. And their food, I was like, shit, it's good. Like, the really – um, what is the thing that – You like the fried octopus. The fried octopus. With, oh. with guacamole. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fried octopus, guacamole, and pico de gallo. Essentially, yeah. that's phenomenal. Their burger is very good. I haven't had the burger, but the I love really I love the tuna steak. That's what yes, I, I had that. That's what last I usually time. get. Yeah, and then I had oh, Ecore pizza. How can we forget? I was about to mention yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but another favorite. The last thing I have to mention at Hermana Republica is the. Um, the pulled pork sandwich. I didn't even eat the like bread, but the pulled pork itself is phenomenal. Also, the sandwich you had at El Catrine. Oh, the tostada. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were all like torta. Tor- torta. That's right. Yeah. My bad. Um, it was funny because everybody got something like fancier, and I was like, I think I'm just gonna get a torta, which is essentially like a sandwich. And torta's my... like Mexican street food sandwich. You yeah, get, it's you like, buy them for like a dollar. It's on the very street. cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I would never order it at a nice restaurant. <laughs> And then your table, your plate hit the table and everyone's like jaw dropped because it <laughs> yeah, was, was like, so delicious. <laughs> I was like the gringo that bought like, you know, the sandwich at the nice restaurant. And like, I was definitely like, Mitko, do you want to try my dinner? Only because I was like aiming for a bite of yours. <laughs> I didn't allow him. Um, yeah, but also Pizza Ikore, best pizza in, in the city. Maybe it's like solid in- Italian, real authentic Italian pizza. 
It's really, really good. And my local friend here, we went. He loves it, and he said, "I've never seen pizza that wasn't a circle. It's like that hand rolled mm, dough, yeah. very like authentic Italian stuff." And it's not like crazy expensive either. Like I think ten bucks a pizza or something. Yeah, I think crazy. I paid like last night when I ordered it, it was like one ninety or something. Like so one ninety pesos. So it's yeah, like right better. about ten bucks. Yeah. So those are good food places. We have to mention. Rappi, ah, Rappi, yes. A so, savior. what is Rappi, and like, what is like, yeah, just like, what is Rappi? Rappi does everything for you. Rappi delivers food like Uber Eats does, but it also delivers groceries. It delivers from the pharmacy. You can have the from the liquor store. You can have Rappi deliver cash to your house if you need cash and. Rappi even does things Rappi doesn't do. They have something called Rappi Favor. So if you don't have it on the list of things that they services they provide, you can just ask them to go do something for you. Mm. Like I, I locked myself out of my house one time, and my housekeeper had to send me keys. And I sent Rappi Favor to pick up the key from her house, and he just showed up on a motorbike 20 minutes later with the key to my house. Like, yeah, and it's they like, run er, they run errands for you, and, and it's super affordable. Like we use it a lot for like we found this. This sounds so stupid. We found this granola that we really like at Costco, but I'm not gonna drive or I'm not gonna take an Uber all the way to Costco to get the granola. So we send the guy to go get us the granola and like bring it back. You yeah. Know? So we use it for that a lot. Um, we've also used it a lot for like water, for example, to like go get us groceries and like buy us water from the Soriana, which is the, the big grocery store here. Um, and then it's also really affordable because like last night I wanted pizza e Cori, which is not on Uber Eats, for example. Mm-hmm. So I had a Rappi Favor guy go get me my pizza and it's super affordable. I think it's like 80 pesos, yeah. which is like $4. $4, yeah. Like, even my, I cooked a really great dinner at my house one time, and <laughs> my friend forgot his leftovers, and the next morning sent a rapi because he was, like, craving what yeah. I had made the night before. He's like, that was so good. Can I send a rapi <laughs> to pick up my leftovers and bring them to my house? Yeah, it's so it's so convenient. Yeah. Like, I love the convenience of it. And it's you can really time great. and schedule things. It's like we were in Progresso, the beach town, like 30 minutes from Merida. And, you know, we were like, well, let's go jump in my pool and blah, 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 and everything else. And I, I realized I didn't have any wine at the house, and I was hosting people. So I scheduled Rappi to arrive at the same time we were arriving back from Progresso to drop off a bunch of wine. That's baller. That's yeah. a baller. Isn't it nice? Yeah. Like, you pull up, and there's a guy with six <laughs> bottles of wine waiting for you. Oh, man. What are cenotes for those who have never heard of them before? So cenotes, people theorize, and there's a bit of a debate around it or whatever, that cenotes... Uh, happened at the same time the meteorological event that took out the dinosaurs. Meteorological event? Is that the what we're calling asteroids. that? The asteroid? Yes. Yeah, okay. The asteroid that punched hole, a bunch of holes in the earth. So cenotes are naturally occurring swimming pools. And there's about three different kinds of cenotes. And some of them, it's like literally like a big hole punched in the ground. So it's like a cave with a swimming pool at the bottom. And they're super cool. When my sister came in town, she, you know, I was like, what do you want to do while you're here? And she's uh, cenotes. I think we did 14 cenotes in three days. Wow. Yeah, we just rented a car and drove around. Some of them are very big and official and they're well lit and they're, you know, it, it's very proper. Some of them are just like a small wooden sign uh, that you just see on the side of the road, you know, cenote 500 mm-hmm. meters to the right or whatever. And we did all kind. It was really crazy. We were literally hands and knees crawling through a cave to get to a swimming hole at one point. Like what super is- fun. What is the, like, if you had to pick one cenote to go to if you came to Merida, which one would it be? 
the one in the Costco parking lot. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> you can't actually the one that you can't go yeah, into. You can't actually <laughs> swim in that one, but ju- just for the novelty's sake. Now, um, one cenote in Merida. Um, you know, most of them aren't actually in Merida. Most of them are like around. Like if you're basing yourself, Ho- Merida, Homun. Homun. Okay. Yeah, Homun are cool because you can. Uh, they have a rope swing. Ooh. Yeah, some of them inside a cave. So you're inside a cave and you swing and like drop into a cenote. It's super fun. So is it sunny in there? Like, because I know a lot of the cenotes, like it's like a cave, right? But they have like an opening so that you get some sun in there. Or is this like a legit cave? That one's a legit cave, but there there's all different kinds. So some of them are the ones with the the hole in the ground with the swimming pool at the bottom. Those get a lot of sun. There's some that are just like swimming pools that are out in you know the middle of. There's no cave surroundings. Those get full sun, and then the ones that are inside caves, which are my favorites. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this as well when, like, Kate was on the show about cenotes because they do occur just here. Yeah. And there is some, like, this is my very, like, tiny amount of knowledge about it that it is, like, they don't really know what formed them. So some people say that it's, like, the meteorite, like, the asteroid, which I think is a much cooler story. But then there's, like, other people that are, like, no, it's because the there's, limestone like, a, yeah, there's, like, a yeah, shallow, yeah. like, sea here and yeah. all this kind of stuff. I like the... Killer dinosaur story. So much cooler, right? So much better. Um, But the other interesting thing that I've heard is that people believe that they're all connected, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's like an underground, like. Singular water source. Yeah, which that's even cool. It's like the abyss, you know, that movie. Yeah, yeah. Which when we were, so when we went to the, when we went to Bacalar here recently, and I was with Charlie and then one of our friends, and we were went to this like really big cenote. Is that the cenote azul? Cenote azul, which is like yeah. the biggest one, I think. And yeah, biggest and deepest. I yeah, think. it's like ninety big, meters. Yeah, biggest by both standards. And so we decided to like swim across it, and so we're like halfway through, and I'm like, "Have you seen that movie, The Abyss?" And Charlie was like, "Are you really fucking bringing this up now?" Like, it's like that one's uh, like a lake to me. It was cool, but I wasn't that like impressed with it. Like it was just kind of like a lake. If you I, I lake. think it's because the other shit that we did on that trip was so fucking cool that it kind of eclipsed that. Yeah, everyone needs to. I want. Well, I almost hate to say this. Like Bacalar is cool. Like I'm, I'm worried it's going to be the next overrun place. Place that's overrun with tourism. Yeah, and Kate and I did. Um, Kate from Adventures Kate, we yeah. did a whole like travel guide to Bacalar. So if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, go check it out. We did like an audio version of it. So Bacalar is really, really it's probably one of my top five places in all of Mexico. Yeah, it's it's great and I can definitely see the worry of like, hey, this is gonna not look the same way in like Well, because New York Times just ran an article. That said what? Is Bacalar the next Tulum? Oh, so now it's going to pop. That's why, that's why I organized that trip. Mm-hmm. I was like, everyone needs to come see it because I think in a year it's going to be different. Yeah, and even like I think Nate was saying, Nate Hake was saying that like even when he was there like two years ago, he said like he saw our pictures and he was like it already looks like, yeah, you know, it's, it's becoming different. So we've talked about Merida, about all of those things. Merida is great. We're really enjoying it. And it's also like a really good place, I think, to like base yourself from if you want to go and like see the rest of Mexico. Definitely. Because you're really close to like Quintana Roo, which is the other state. So you can go to like Tulum. Campeche. Yeah, you can go like see a lot of those other places. There's ruins all around here. Yeah, because it's very close to uh, Chichen Itza. Yeah. 
So and, you can and the go other there. thing here is, I think what a lot of people and what Americans think of is like Mexican. Like definitely, I mean, we're in Mexico, so this is Mexican. But we're this is the people are Mayan. You know, so mm-hmm. they, they have Mayan ruins and they have Mayan history and Mayan architecture. And uh, so it's it's not just Mexican, you know, it's Mayan as well. And even like Russo, our friend, was saying that there's a lot of Mayan accent. Like they don't yeah. speak with like a like, you know, the same way that like we have a lot of different like accents within America. Like he said that like the one spoken in the Yucatan is distinctly like Mayan. Yeah. A lot of people in other states of Mexico don't like the way. Yucatecan speak. It's like the southern. Well, and it's got a lot of like they use some Mayan words that aren't used anywhere else. Which is so crazy that yeah. it's like Mayan words. Yeah. You know, then isn't the like their word for corn is different? Like you see it a lot in like stores here. Oh, is it? I don't know that. I think that that was like Sarah and I because I mean corn is like maize, right? It's yeah, corn, maize. but here they don't use that word. Yeah. What I think they, I know like three Mayan words, and that's not one of them. <laughs> it's not corn. It's, it's not like corn, a pretty no. like important one in no. you know Mexico. My Ooh. favorite is coosh. What's that? Which is the same as like vamos, like let's go. Oh, nice. What about like let's talk about like safety because I think that that's something that a lot of Americans specifically like are concerned about when it comes to Mexico. I think that we see a lot of things in media that's like talks about how dangerous Mexico is and like all that kind of stuff. And to be quite honest it's something that really got to sarah and i in the, when we were first coming here because you know we said we were going to go to mexico and like a lot of like friends or family were like you're going to mexico like w- like are you sure like it's like you see all this stuff in the news it's like so dangerous and were these american friends yeah, yeah yeah and like that's what i'm saying is like what don't we hear about mexico in the states in the news and that kind of stuff I mean, sure, there are dangerous parts of Mexico, definitely. I think a lot of that's in the north. Like, we just did the El Chepe trip, and I think some of those states are more dangerous. Merida is the safest city uh, in all of Mexico seven years in a row. But also, have you heard the theory as to why it's safe? I have heard the theory, but do you want to tell people what the theory so is? So supposedly, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard it more more than once. All of the cartels in Mexico, this is where they stick their family members. So Merida is kind of like a, you know... We don't do anything here because everyone's grandma lives here. So everyone sticks their family in Merida, and this is kind of like a the no cartel activity zone. Yeah, but even like I mean, so that can like like sound worrying to people. Like, what do you mean the cartel is like putting their family here and this kind of stuff? Like, that sounds kind of sketchy. But I feel super super safe here in Merida. I think when we were first coming here. People, like, really freaked me out, even though I knew that I'm, like, this is just, like, media bullshit. Yeah. But it still gets to you, you know? And, like, to be honest, the first week here, Sarah and I were very, like, like, triple check that the door is locked, like, all this shit, you know? And now it's, like, it's so not what the media tells you. It's, like, perfectly safe. This place is so safe, I just moved my mom here. Yeah. My mom just retired here like two or three weeks ago. I would not stick my mom somewhere to live on her own half the year when I'm not here if I Mm -hmm. thought there was any concern about safety. Yeah. 
And what about outside of Merida? Like, if we're, like we're talking about like the rest of Mexico. Like, I mean, obviously, yes, like the northern states, like the ones that are closest, funny enough, to the U.S. border are yeah. supposed to like a war zone. You know, yeah. like that's the way it's been described to me. But what about the rest of Mexico? Like, is that something that you should be worried about, or is it mostly just like? I think by and large, Mexico <clears throat> is very safe. There are definitely pockets, and even you know, our friend we were talking about, the our local friend. There are states he doesn't want to visit. Because mm-hmm. uh, Sinaloa, I think, was one he might have said. Because they're, they're a bit dangerous. But the places, even Mexico City has been ranked as one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Mexico City is probably one of my top three or five favorite cities in the world. And, you know, it's a city of something more than 20 million people. So th- there are going to be pockets and neighborhoods of high crime, just like there's, you know, in yeah. L.A. and places like this. Chicago, there's, Detroit. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, they have their bad neighborhoods and their bad areas as well that negatively affect the crime rates and you know where whereas it doesn't in mexico city the places where we hang out and the places the neighborhoods that we stay in it's you know it's rich mexicans and uh expats immigrants you know yeah no crime i've never i've never felt unsafe in mexico city it's one of the greatest cities in the world i mean i'm sure it's like oh it's like our neighbors to the south and they're like blah 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 all this stuff the same way that probably canada is like hey yeah. U.S. stop sending us some like batshit crazy dudes up here in our like you know where we have all this shit figured out you know so it's like I'm sure that there's truth to the fact that Mexico is dangerous in certain areas like I'm sure that that's a thing like the cartels are a very real thing like they are extremely powerful like that's a real thing but like I don't know like I don't feel personally endangered if that makes sense absolutely not I wouldn't I can live anywhere I want. You know, we all no. can. We're all the digital nomad, expats, location mm-hmm. independent, whatever it is. I would not plant myself year after year in somewhere I felt unsafe. What do you think about this? Because this is like one of like my things as well. Like, you know, we talk about having home bases and this sort of thing. Safe and like houses. And, safe houses. Yeah. And, you know, like what do you think about it as like obviously like like – what do you think about it as like a long-term place? Like, would you invest money here in buying property? Because like my worry is like, okay, it's super safe now, but it literally takes one guy making one decision somewhere and it becomes not safe. That could be anywhere though. I mean, it's so hard to factor that into property buying decisions. You know, that could literally be anywhere. So I don't think there's more of a risk here than there is anywhere else. Mm. And yeah, as far as long-term base, I'm hoping to buy property here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on my Mexican citizenship, and when I get my Mexican citizenship, we're talking about buying some property. Do you mind talking a little bit about, like, obviously, like, people listening to this might be familiar with, like, flag theory and this kind of stuff, Mm. and, like, why there's benefits of getting, like, other citizenships. Do you mind talking a little bit about, like, your process of getting the Mexican citizenship and, like, what that's been like? You don't have to go into any, like, super intense details or anything like that. Well, it's ongoing. This has been more than two years, and it's a huge pain in the ass. I'm half Mexican. My father uh, was Mexican, first generation. He's the first of the family to be born in the States. So there's technically I'm legally eligible for citizenship because the law says if your grandparents were born here, if you have one grandparent that was born in Mexico, you're eligible. There's a problem. My dad died without taking his citizenship, and you take citizenship from your mm. from your parent. So we're going through this huge process of trying to have my dead dad made into a Mexican citizen so I can take my citizenship from mm. him. Yeah. And it's a pain in the ass. 
What are the benefits of having the Mexican citizenship? Uh, it makes opening a business, which I hope to do here, easier. Um, anything that you can do as a as a local, as a you know, as a Mexican citizen, it's going to cut a lot of red tape out of you know taxes and things like this. Mm-hmm. As an American trying to open a business or buy property in a foreign country, I also think that it's like, like I have friends in the U.S., for example, who don't have an, a U.S. passport. And to me, that is, like, a big, 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 big issue. Like, you don't have a passport. Like, you're literally a slave in this country because, like, if something happens, you can't leave. And it's people say, I was like, well, it's the U.S., nothing's going to happen. I'm like, yeah, but it should happen. So they've, like, come and they've overstayed tourist visas or something? No, no, no. no. What I'm saying is, like, like you know, like, a oh, huge like, population of the U.S. Does oh, just have doesn't a have a passport. Like, yeah. Okay, okay. They have an open one. Yeah. And it's, like, you need to have that document because, mm-hmm. like, you can think and wish and hope, and I hope that nothing happens in the U.S., but, like, shit happens. Like, yeah. I grew up in Eastern Europe. Like, I can tell you that, like, I mean, not me personally, but I was alive when shit was going down in the Balkans. Mm-hmm. My parents have, like, lived through the communism, this kind of stuff. Like, shit happens. And I think that people in the United States have this, like, view of, like, oh, that's never going to happen, happen here. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And this is why I think it's, like, first, the first step is get that u.s citizenship but then like get that second citizenship like find a way like you know what's your background you know you're you have a mexican background somebody else has a hungarian background or whatever get that other yeah yeah. get that other second citizenship and like see what that can do for you because shit goes crazy in you know the u.s i can move to bulgaria yeah and be fine you know and like i have a fallback and i think that's really important especially as we become more of a global society you know like we're moving that direction where it's like everybody's doing business with everyone we have the internet like it's i just i just think that that's going to be more important and speaking of like you know we mentioned the people on the fringes like look at what people on this on the fringes are doing and this is what they're doing to secure like their life their their like loved ones and their businesses as well so i think it's really smart and mexico is a familiar place yeah. so i think it is a good place close, for like a second, close to the states yeah yeah and so it's a good place for like a second citizen and also it's important to me because you know like i said the law says your grandparents have to have been born here and if i don't get it it dies with me you know, and I have a daughter, and I would like for her to have a second passport. And if I don't go through all these hoops and all of the, you know, legalities and all these other things, it's just finished. Mm-hmm. She she has no option to ever have a second passport. Mm. You know, unless she, you know, whatever, whatever. But I need to do this for my daughter, and you know, my sister's getting hers as well for my nieces and nephews. And you know, we can keep it going after yeah. that. Everyone will be able to have a second passport after that. For sure. Yeah. What um. What's next, man? Like, for you, like, what are you, like, what's happening next with the blog? Like, you know, where do you see, like, your business going and that kind of stuff? Uh, If you don't mind sharing. No, 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 of course not. I want to get into recipes. I I think a lot of my friends are having uh, good success pushing recipes, a lot of traffic, things like this. They perform really well all year long, whereas my traffic dips and stuff. Um, I want to start food tours. That's one of the things that I want to get my Mexican passport for. I want to start running food tours here in Merida. Mm-hmm. And what's next? Uh, you know, I'm here until May, and then I'll be in Europe all summer. You're going to come and spend a long time in Bulgaria? And- I'm coming to your wedding, I yeah. told you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard there was a five-course dinner, so I'm coming. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what about – what do you think as somebody who's been doing this for a while in the digital nomad space – um, what do you think is like coming next in that space? 
more and more people. I think mm-hmm. I think we've got to get ready for an influx of people, and there's going to be more and more competition for these jobs. Mm-hmm. I think more people as this becomes appealing. Uh, I don't know that the jobs are going to open up as fast as the people are going to. Really? I don't think so. I think we see a lot, a lot of people wanting to do this, and the companies haven't been responding as fast. Yeah. I think, you know, this is like when we talked about, like I mentioned, like points of leverage. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those. Yeah. Like For I. Pe- people going location independent? I think that more and more people are going to do this in the same way that the internet created a whole bunch of new problems that needed solutions. You know, like you had PayPal that, to solve, like, you know, finances over the internet or like whatever, or like Amazon buy shit over the internet. I think this shift in culture. And in the way that we live, uh, you know, becoming more location independent, not necessarily that you need to become a digital nomad and fucking like not have a home, but becoming location independent is going to, it's creating more of these like problems that are going to need solutions. And I think it's a big shift. Do you think companies are opening up these positions? I think they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to, but I don't see them doing it as fast as I see a lot of people that are very interested in this lifestyle and they would love to be able to do this. Uh, and a lot of companies don't seem it's, – it's, it's very progressive that a company will have, you know, the majority of their staff not in, under a physical roof. You know, I think companies are a bit slow. I think there's a bottleneck there. Like I think that there are people who are still running shit at a lot of companies who they're just like, no. Like, yeah. I'm just not doing this. They're and it's going to take yeah. three years for those yeah, yeah. people to get flushed out, you know? Yeah. And you're going to have to do it because I was talking to my friend. I was uh, a guest on another podcast, a friend of mine um, who it, who has a podcast in Cincinnati. And I was talking to him and, you know, he's like um, – you know, he was talking about like how can this stuff, the stuff that you're doing affect like entrepreneurs and like businesses who are not doing this. And I'm like, you want to talk about Main Street businesses? You know, the, the best way for you to win is to bring in these guys mm-hmm. because these guys are out there. They know what they're doing. You're not restricted by, you know, your geography anymore. So if you're just doing business in Cincinnati, in Cincinnati you need to find the best, you know, web developer in Cincinnati at this price. You open it up to a worldwide, your talent pool just increased massively, right? You can attract the best talent as well because you can say, you know, if, if, if I'm giving you a job and I'm offering you a position at a company and company A gives you the same amount of money, the same benefits, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff as company B, but company B says, oh, and by the way, you can live in fucking Bali. Anywhere Which one the, are you yeah, going to pick? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? So I think. I just think that's been slow to happen so far. I think that there are several bottlenecks. So I think uh, the first bottleneck was, was like the technological bottleneck. Like. What's the Wi-Fi like? Like, how am I actually going to do this? And mm-hmm. I think that that got solved. And I think that the next one might be the human bottleneck, like waiting for those people to get flushed out and also developing new ways of working together because it's, it's a different type of management, right? Where you're in an office and I, come, I can come over to your window. Stand over to yeah. you. And, yeah. Well, what are you working on? Yeah, you know, yeah. what are you doing? You know, are you, you playing Minesweep? Like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, but as those people that are resisting this get flushed out and you bring in fresh perspective, fresh management into these companies who have more of this outlook mm-hmm. and who can also are interested in how do we actually manage this, right? Because I think there's a lot of companies that are like, oh, I'll bring in like one person who's like remote. 
and I'm going to work with them the exact same way as if they were in this office. Well, of course it didn't fucking work. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. You need to restructure your management style and all these kind of things. So I think that's the next bottleneck, but I think it's like there's no way that it doesn't happen in terms of competition. Well, it has to. It, like there's yeah. just no way. Yeah, it has to. Yeah. I mean, because like I said, I think there are a lot of people that are interested in this and people that are going to push for it. And if they can't find it with, like you're saying, company A, mm-hmm. then they will seek out company B. And, the, you know, there's a lot of demand for this, a lot of excitement about it, a lot of interest. Yeah, and like something that we talked about last night is that you've been doing this for a very long time. So you've seen a lot of like, you know what I mean, like working online, like yeah. you've seen a lot of it come and go. And one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is I think – one of the ways in which this whole movement gets a bad rep is almost that you're like using like third world countries like you're oh like you have a blog and you're going to hire somebody from the Philippines and pay him $5 an hour instead of paying like an American or whatever mm-hmm. like more for that and like you're almost like using that right but have you what do you think this movement and this lifestyle what kind of effect has that had on those cultures and on those countries i like to think positive you hope because you might hear someone say i pay someone in the philippines or you know pakistan Mm -hmm. or something five dollars an hour and for you know an american hears that they're like how you know how could you blah blah blah. that might not be a bad wage for that person oh yeah it's not necessarily it might sound cheap and offensive to some people but you know i work with um people in other countries as well i've hired people and i like to think i pay them a fair wage um, I'm working with a Moroccan guy right now, and uh, we came to what I think is a good price, and he seems excited about the price and everything. So I don't think we're using third world countries. If anything, I hope that we're, you know, helping young, excited, talented, motivated uh, people. Uh, if nothing else, it's a springboard, you know, mm-hmm. build up their resume and things like this. Yeah, and I think it's like. I think that's one thing that I wish I saw more of is that like I feel like our community can give back to those communities. Like, okay, so you hire mostly like as somebody who's Bulgarian, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people hire a lot of Eastern European talent. I would love to see people go to Eastern Europe and say, Hey, this is a thing that you need to jump on. Like yeah. there's all these businesses that are interested in hiring you because XYZ reason is beneficial for them. Like, here are the skills you need in order to work with this industry, right? Like, become a web developer to work with these, like, bloggers or whatever it is. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I, I wish I could see, I wish I saw more of the community giving back in that way. Because I do think that, like, the pay is good. Like, I don't, I understand people who complain about like these jobs aren't going to Americans and I get that. But at the same time, the way that I look at it is like, we're all human. And I have so many stories of friends of mine who are like, I'm literally paying for this person and like their entire family lives off of the wage that I'm paying them. And that's amazing to me, right? That you can support a whole family in the Philippines or whatever with that money. That's amazing. So and maybe whatever we are paying them might be a bit better than they could have gotten from a local company. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and they get to work remotely too. Like they get to work yeah. from home, maybe they have children, you know, whatever. So I do think that this is, yeah, I think it's like a really interesting like movement and I'm very interested to see where it goes. I'm really excited to be like a part of it and that kind of stuff. Um, but have you, do you feel like you've noticed a, 
like it's almost like evening out in some places. Like I feel like Bali. Let's say Bali is like a a, a crazy, you know, like like kind of like a a place where a lot of people go to. Like digital nomad destination yeah. or tourist destination. Digital nomad destinations. Yeah. Where Bali, everybody was singing Bali's praises, you know, five, six years ago because it was this like super cheap place and like you could do blah 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 all these things. But now that it's become so popular, the costs there have risen to a point where like when we were there I was like I know this eleven dollar breakfast doesn't yeah. really feel like really great location arbitrage. Um, for me, and I know we might get a lot of negativity or something about this, Chiang Mai. And you think that's happening with Chiang Mai? For a lot of reasons. I, I love Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was just there. I went back there not that long ago. Um, I based from there for like two or three winters before I started coming here. But for me, in my opinion, and maybe it's just as I've grown or my business has grown or et cetera, et cetera, I feel like I personally have outgrown Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai as a city or Chiang Mai as a community? Chiang Mai is a digital nomad destination. Mm. Like, well, because like I often call Chiang Mai the like freshman dorms of exactly. digital nomadism. Yeah. So is that like what you mean? Is that I, I think it's a, still a great place to go to if you're just getting started. But are you saying that like as your business has grown, you're kind of like I'm not really getting that much from that place anymore. Yeah, and like you're saying, as the freshman dormer as you're starting or whatever. So. Everyone, I feel like everyone that I met in Chiang Mai, you know, you would try and have like a connection and like, oh yeah, let's go grab a lunch or something. And everything first thing is like, how are you making money? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how can I get in on it? Mm. You know, a lot of people trying to bootstrap and things like this. And the community in Merida right now, there's a bunch of us. I mean, there's a bunch of digital nomads here. Everyone seems to be, it's a little bit more of an established group. And I don't, I don't think I have any friends here that are just totally bootstrapping it you know people are at different stages but everyone seems to be a bit more established and it doesn't seem i don't know Chiang Mai felt a bit like like a bunch of carnivores sometimes mm. you know i think there's like this undertone in in some places where it's like oh save up five thousand dollars and come to Chiang Mai and like you know like figure it out and it's like people who are trying to like live off of like 400 300 you know what i mean oh like, yeah i've seen the youtube videos yeah yeah, yeah. but where do you think? And I. Like, oh, my favorite was the guy that brought his own rice to dinners. Have you? Did you see I this? I've heard about this. Living in Thailand, and to save, you know, thirty cents, he would boil rice at home and take it to dinners. Oh, to like not have to pay for not have to pay for rice. Yeah, it was a travel. That's, that's it was a Chiang Mai travel hack. <laughs> what do you? Where do you think? So, if like Chiang Mai and like Bali and these places are kind of like. Not overdone, but they've almost like peaked already. Yeah. And Nate and I did Nate Hake. We've brought him up eighteen thousand times. Shout out, screen. Nate! <laughs> Shout out, Nate! Um, where do you think are the next places? That Probably the one Nate told you. Oh, Tbilisi, Tbilisi, Georgia, Tbilisi, Georgia, and it's getting a lot of attention right now. I spent, I just spent two months in Tbilisi with Nate and a whole bunch of Kate. All of us were there. Love Tbilisi. Uh, I think I don't know if it's a year-round destination because they do have quite cold winters. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tbilisi, where else? Merida. I think Merida's getting a lot of attention. Um, Mexico City. Mexico to throw City. In that yeah. yeah. Medellin. I think everyone's known about Medellin for a while. Been, yeah. yeah. It's it's not new to any list. Mexico City is a good destination. It's it's a, like I said, one of my favorite cities. I don't know that it's super affordable. Mm. I, it's not, you know, I looked at a two-bedroom apartment there, and it was $1,200 a month. So it's not crazy expensive or anything, especially to me. It's a very cosmopolitan, metropolitan mm-hmm. city. It's, you know, a lot of it felt like, to me, parts of New York City. It felt like Brooklyn or something, mm-hmm. you know, the neighborhoods we were staying in. So $1,200, it's not a ton of money. 
um, for what you're getting. But when you look at the rest of Mexico, you know, I pay less than half of that for, you know, a bigger place and swimming mm-hmm. pool and all of these things for less than half of that. Are there any other places that jump out at you as like possible other spots? Um, I happen to love Bucharest. Like mm-hmm. I, I could stay in Bucharest for probably half a year at a time. Uh, Albania. Albania, not because of so many things. Where in Albania? Uh, I mean, you it would be the capital city, it, um, Tirana. Um, but, you know, that's one of the easiest visas. It's the same reason. They have the same visa structure as Georgia. One, mm. one year on arrival. Gotcha. And you can leave and walk out and turn, walk back in and get another year. Yeah, I think the Balkans in yeah. general. I think those are going to pop. I go every summer. That's, yeah. yeah. My, one of my favorite places. I think the Balkans offer a lot of variety. And a lot of like different things you can do, and it has a little bit of that exotic feel that like Asia might have, but in Europe, yeah, um, the costs are very low, and the internet speeds in a lot of places in the Balkans are very very fast. Incredible. Uh, Romania has the second fastest internet in the world, and Bulgaria is number twenty. Is it? Yeah. And it's like so, and it's I, like people don't know this kind of stuff. You know? I love Bulgaria. I just. Don't love Sofia as much. Yeah, you know, like you said that about Sofia, and I, I get that, and I don't. I love Sofia as a city. Like, if I were Bulgarian living in Bulgaria, I'd probably live in Sofia. Like, long, like if, like you know, if I never moved to the U.S., I'd probably live in Sofia. But for me, when I go to Bulgaria, I get bored there very quickly. Oh, I just remembered another one: uh, Ukraine, Kiev. Kiev, I've heard really good things yeah. about Kiev. Yeah, we were there. I spent about a month there last summer. Yeah, really. And uh, Ukrainians are very much wanting to be identified as Europeans, not Eastern Europeans. Mm. And there's a big push right now in the city. They're doing cool, innovative stuff, like really young, forward thinkers. Mm-hmm. Same thing that's happening in um, Georgia and Tbilisi. Yeah. yeah, really cool young people. And I know that Georgia ideas. wants to be identified as Europe. Eastern Europe. Georgia is Georgia is really courting digital nomads. Yeah. yeah they're hardcore. They're I, I think they've realized their potential as a digital nomad place and they're openly courting digital nomads. There's some cool stuff going on in Georgia right now. You know what's so frustrating about that is I got the chance to talk to some people in like I mean not like this sounds fancy, but like some people that are like involved in Bulgarian government mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago and I was like, Hey, this is an opportunity for you guys. Like this is something that you can like really step on and do this and I think like like this can like I think Bulgaria can like really do this. And they're like, Oh yeah, 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 this this sounds like a really good idea. We'll definitely like think about it, blah 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 blah. Nothing Never happened. Never heard from them again. And then Georgia yeah. started doing like essentially like I was like all these things that like I listed about like Bulgaria is good about this, blah blah blah, like, you can do this, like you know, like visas, like start like a co working space, it's like really cheap, free, blah blah, blah this kind of stuff. And then Georgia started doing it. And I get so frustrated because it sounds so amazing. I'm like, oh like as somebody who was born in Bulgaria, I'm like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like like we could have done that. You know, I went to Georgia first time like three years ago and I was like, It's not for me. Mm. <laughs> you know? I was like, it's not that great. It's not that exciting. And literally in those three years, I, you know, I came back and we were with my same friends, Meg and Tom, Food Fun Travel. Um, we were with them and I was like, why didn't you guys bring me here mm-hmm. when I came three years ago? This is cool. This yeah. is very cool. And they're like, this wasn't here three years ago. The entire complex, it was like 
super cool wine bars and all this other stuff. They're like, it, this is like a year and a half or two years old. Like, yeah. Georgia's, Tbilisi is changing fast. They really want digital nomads. They have cool, cool young people, really cool startups, you know, uh, progressive, interesting. Mm-hmm. So I went back, you know, three years later and I went for a month. I extended for a month. I ended up saying two months. I almost stayed another third month. Like, and I'm going back. I'll probably base myself from there this mm. summer. I'll be there largely this summer. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm planning on going there in September, so I'm really excited to go and and see it. And you know, as long as Russia doesn't take over more of the country, you know, eventually they're gonna like start walking into Tbilisi. Well, that's the other thing. Like when I was there last year, Russia had banned their uh, citizens from going to Georgia. They shut down all flights. Wow. So Georgia was really like, and you know, that's probably the largest part of their tourism is Russian. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge part. All also, interestingly enough, um, a lot of uh, Arab Muslim countries. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. because they uh, they have really good visa policies, so it's mm-hmm. one place that you know some of these um, Arab countries can go to very easily. So they mm-hmm. have entire neighborhoods. You know, I was staying. They called it Little Turkey, like Little Istanbul, the neighborhood I was staying. Yeah. In. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're they're they they've realized their potential and they're they're going for it, and it's cool. It's interesting. I hope. I hope we as a lot don't go there and ruin it. Well, you know, the thing that, like, worries me about Georgia is, like, you know about their, like, constantly evolving northern border? Have you heard about this? Yes, yeah. Where, like, like you wake up and, like, Russia's increased by, like, a meter. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, constantly yeah. moving. So it's, they like... They lost three kilometers yeah, of yeah, land yeah. space overnight. Like, yeah. So, like, when does that, like, stop? And, like, you know, Georgia as a country can't really, do like... No country in that area can like really do anything if like Russia starts like I'm going to take a little bit of land today. yeah like you know so but that's not like a you know a huge issue but I am very excited to go check out Tbilisi it is very similar to Bulgarian culture we share a lot of like similar foods and like all that kind of stuff we have huge Georgian neighborhoods in Bulgaria so like I'm super super pumped to go see it because it's the birthplace awesome. of wine. It is the birthplace of yeah, wine. Birthplace of wine. They've, you know, what they're doing? They're kind of doing the same thing that like Bulgarians do about yogurt. Okay, you know what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about we've had like, this conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. not Greek yogurt. Yeah. It's Bulgarian yogurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like, yeah, you want to get kicked out of a Bulgarian house real quick? Call it Greek yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. I thank really you for appreciate having it. me on. Thank you for the beers. Yeah, we've gone through like a six pack. You know, we'll go pick some more up. But um, finally, where can people check you out? Obviously, the website, but like where else can people come, you know, check you out and follow you and stuff like that? Foodieflashpacker.com, foodieflashpacker on Instagram, foodieflashpacker on Facebook. I'm really easy to find. You got all those places booked? Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Thanks well, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely.